Hey Atari Hackers, welcome to the first episode of 2022. I hope you had a lot of fun, I hope you met with your family, I hope you ate a lot of food, but let's not lie, now it's time to go back to work. And you're lucky because today we have an episode that's going to help you do just that, where we're going to be talking about the main changes to building authority sites in 2022. There's no denying that building websites is getting somewhat more complicated, but also is changing, right? And there's things that you should do differently this year that we've done in the past. So in this episode, we are going to be highlighting several of the biggest changes that you should adopt if you want to build successful websites in 2022. And we are going to be taking the opportunity of this podcast to announce that we have just updated our flagship post, the Authority Site System, with most of the changes that we are going to be talking about in this podcast. So that is, you know, things like Core Web Vitals, things like the Google Review Update, and a bunch of other things that are quite important to make your site successful. All our trainings have just been updated in the last few days with a bunch of lessons that treat of all these things and help you navigate the more difficult path that you have to go through when you're building a site this year. And to celebrate this update, we are running a massive discount on the authority site system that you can find on authorityhacker.com system. You will see the URL below me. Go and check it out. It's only going to be running for a few days, so don't miss it out. Otherwise, the price is going to go back up. But without further teasing, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast 2022. We are still going and to celebrate the new year, we actually just released a massive update to the Authority Site system and we have a bunch of new lessons and videos. A lot of the stuff that we are going to be talking in, about in this podcast is actually integrated in the course already. So yeah, a lot of new stuff that came out and to celebrate that, we are actually running a sale right now on the Authority Site system. So if you want to get it at the best price possible with all the new updates included, you you can go on autohacker.com slash system to see the current sale. It's only running for a few more days now, so just make sure you don't miss it. But let's jump into the podcast and ask Mark how his new year has been going and how his Christmas has been going. So how has it been going, Mark? Well, normally on a podcast, <laughs> this is the point where I would say, yeah, I had a great Christmas and new year, but let's, <laughs> let's kind of like break the fourth wall for a bit. It's not even Christmas yet. We're recording this at the end of 2021. Because uh, we don't want to be doing this during our vacation break. But the sa the answer is the same up. as it's always been for every episode of the podcast is I have no answer, of course, uh -huh. because it's an awkward question and I don't like <laughs> responding to it. So nothing's so turning you keep into asking and I'll keep not answering. Okay, well that that is one thing that you can be resting assured that is going to stay the same in 2022. Uh, but let's talk about stuff that is changing and all staying the same on authority sites, because I think that's what people came here for. And I think the first point I'm going to take it is that, and I think that people who follow our course like do get the idea, but people, a lot of people who don't, that I kind of like observe, I follow them, the subreddit Just Start, which a lot of people, if you want, like to see people talking about building sites, etc. It's a cool place, actually. People talk about their case studies and building websites and stuff, and it's cool. No, I wouldn't necessarily do everything that is advised in the comments necessarily to my sites, but um, the energy on the subreddit is really cool. And it's kind of a place where I also get like inspiration, what to talk about and things like that for the podcast. But anyway, the first point that I don't see always is that you should probably figure out monetization first before you start a website because you don't pay your bills in rankings, you don't pay your bills in traffic, you don't pay your bills in unique visitors or anything like that. You pay your bills in dollars. And too many people, especially when people follow kind of like the 
you know, go with your passion first type thing. Usually it means don't think about monetization, just do something that interests you. And it's like, you're building a business here, guys. So uh, figure out your monetization. I bet like now it's quite easy to monetize many, many things with advertising because ads do pay quite well now. And I think they really are, you know, an equal alternative to affiliate marketing. Whereas before it was more like, you know, you had affiliate marketing making most of your money and you had like kind of ads as a support monetization channel. I think the balance has kind of shifted on a lot of niches, not all of them, like high paying niches for affiliate marketing, not really, but like for a lot of consumer niches, it's kind of like half, half, it's kind of the same. And it's, it's quite valuable to start a site that would, you know, be counting on ads to pretty much make most of its money at this point. Um, but you need, for these, these high payouts, you need your traffic to be mostly in the US. So when you do your market research, you need to make sure you get US traffic. Because if you want to get on Mediavine, AdThrive, and all the networks that pay like 20 to $40 per thousand visitors, mostly closer to 40 Although now we're going to enter the period of the year where it's going to be the lowest, you know, after Christmas, the ad revenue dips. So, you know, expect a bit less now, but it's going to go up throughout the year. You need mostly US traffic. You need mostly family-friendly traffic, right? So if you write about like uh, exotic sexual positions and stuff like that on your site, you're probably not going to give you approved. So just uh, just so you know, but other than that, most of most topics can be monetized quite well. And the thing that is interesting as well is like, you know, historically, the topic of your site would matter quite a lot on how much you make with ads because, you know, ads used to be matched on like the content of the page. It is still the case to some extent, you know, some of the biddings like that, but a lot, a lot of the bidding is uh, retargeting or like, you know, for example, Google uses your search history to target ads at you, right? So if you are searching for, if I'm searching for, I don't know, what could I be searching for? Some best paintball guns. Uh, then, then uh, even if I visit CNN, then I could see paintball ads based on that search, for example. And so that means that the entire history of what people have been doing on the internet matters to what ads are served to them rather than just the content of the page. And therefore, you know, the earnings per thousand visitors on like a cooking blog is now quite close to the earning per thousand visitors on the financial blog. Not exactly as much the financial blog will still make, you know, probably 30% more or something like this, but it's not going to be like five to one ratio like it used to be before. So ads are great, but still I prefer running sites that at least can monetize with both ads and affiliate. And I would recommend that before you start anything, find the affiliate programs and the products you want to sell, check how much they're paying, try to find sites that promote them and which angles they're doing. I like to find examples of sites that I are clearly investing quite a bit. So like in content or in like tech or stuff like that, like, you know, they're spending money. If they're spending money, they believe they can make money or they are making money already. And then I kind of like piggyback right that basically. So a good, a good tactic there, first. I think you you mentioned this uh, maybe on the podcast before, I can't, can't remember, is, is to look at who's hiring for people yeah, in yeah. that industry. It's one of the tactics in TAS actually is to go to the content marketplaces like a pro blogger or Upwork, etc. and look at the job offers and usually they give you niches. So it's like if you're looking for niches, it's a great place to go actually. Yeah. Did you have a story to add to this? Yeah, and it's interesting as well. When one of our first big authority sites that, that we started back in 2013, this was a health site, we had no idea what we were doing when it came to monetization. Like our only goal in the beginning was to grow it, get more there was visitors no as of, well back of any kind. We didn't think the monetization out until really a year, year and a half in. And by that point, we'd spent quite a lot of energy, quite a lot of resources and money on building out areas of the site that weren't so easy to monetize with like some of the the, the products we were promoting at the time. And it was just it was just a mess. We ended up with this huge site which had eventually thousands of posts, but 
a lot of it was just lacking in focus. It was difficult to work on. And the area of the site that made a lot of money, which was around uh, supplements and stuff, was was maybe what a quarter or a third of of that. Uh, and if we just focused on if we just focused on building out that area from the beginning, because we researched it and we identified that as a you know high pro- profitable area, I think we would have gotten a lot further with that site. Certainly, a lot faster as well. Yeah, the story is a bit different if you do the same today, because ad networks can kind of like back that up. Whereas at the time when we did it. There was no mini event, there was no AdThrive, so really that content. Yeah, I mean, you could slap AdSense and like we did MediaNet at the time. Don't use MediaNet anymore, but like we did MediaNet at the time. And we were making some money, but it was pretty terrible, to be honest. And that is a good example of like what not to do. So usually this kind of advice we give comes from us fucking it up sometime in the past and just remembering, probably shouldn't do that again. So that's, that's pretty much it. Why don't we take the next point? Yeah, so the next one is don't be afraid of the competition. In fact, seek out competition. It's a good thing. Most people, when they get into starting any kind of business online for the first time, they try and do something different. They think that, oh, I just need to come up with something new like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and I'll, I'll <laughs> you know, become a billionaire. Facebook wasn't the first social network, right? It wasn't even the, the first big one. What was that one because it's Bebo, Friendster, MySpace. They were huge. Mark Zuckerberg came along and just executed better than than the rest. So the presence of competitors is a good thing. There's a really, well, kind of somewhat embarrassing story I have. I think I've talked about this in the podcast before. But one of my first sites, one of my early sites, was about micro SIM card cutters. It's about as, as niche as you can get. And the reason I thought this would be good is because it was a product which I thought, well, you know, some people need this, and I saw nobody else doing it. No one else had a website. I think since then, no one else has ever had a website of just about I these don't think anyone else cutters. ever made a website about this, yeah. And there's a good reason why nobody did that, because there's hardly any money in it. Like this, the, the products were $3, and the commission at the time, even I think Amazon was paying 6 7%, was, you know, we're talking a few cents here per sale, and People buy them once, and I think that they they got replaced by nano SIM cards after a couple of years anyway. So it was it was just a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. And I thought I was onto something new, I was riding this new wave because no one else had done it, and I wasn't. So look for other sites that are present in an industry. Now, if we want to get a little bit go a little bit deeper into this, you kind of have to be careful because you obviously don't want the industry to be dominated by fifty giant websites yeah, that are just going to crush yeah. you. Yeah, so domain rating or DR is the Ahrefs metric, which it measures the amount of links pointing to a page, essentially. But when it, when you start seeing a lot of sites, DR 75, 80, 85, and, and above, it's very hard to compete against those as a new site. Now, having a few of those present is a good thing, as long as there are also smaller sites established in the last few years that are maybe DR 30, 40, 50, which are also ranking for, for keywords. There was a good example I saw recently where if you Google best protein powder in the US, it was all you know huge sites that you would never even dream of competing against. But if you go one level deeper and you Google best protein powder for beginners, then you start to see, I think there was one or two sites on there which are actually DR like 45, 50. And that's kind of showing you, okay, maybe there's some leeway to get in there and, and compete. Still, you probably want to be looking for, you know, three, four sites which are ranking for some of the bigger keywords or some of the yeah, uh, more number common one is DR32 actually. 
Yeah. Yeah, so it's rankable. It's not, I mean, it's not easy. The rest of the sites are pretty high. There's another one that's small. There's two small sites. So it's, it's not too bad. But yeah, yeah, I recommend that. Actually, my next point goes with that. It's like how to kind of like temper the competition is usually to, it's, now if I start a site, let's say I want to start a photography site, for example, I would not necessarily start right away with a photography site. I would take a sub-niche of photography and kind of expand into that. There's kind of two ways to do that. You can either buy a photography domain and then just write about that sub-niche. So the sub-niche I picked in my notes was drone right now, like drone photography. You could do smartphone photography, you could do a bunch of other ones. Or you can just start with a drone-specific domain and then you can rebrand it later and 301 redirect and you can keep all your rankings if you do it properly. Like a lot of brands rebrand and change their domain and keep their rankings and it's totally fine to do that. It's not risky if you do it properly. Anyway, Google heavily rewards specialists and I think, again, I checked that keyword. I, che I checked best drone for photography, which is a pretty big keyword and pretty commercial heavy keyword. It's pretty much all the R80 tech sites on page one, except that one drone specialized site that's like the R50 or something. It shows you that that's a really good example of like Google rewarding specialization. And what it does, it gives you an opportunity to rank for fairly competitive terms when you are a specialist. We are doing that tactic right now on the authority site system case study site, actually. So we have a case study site that's running. And in the previous version of the authority site, we were not really trying to rank that site. This new one, we are actually putting some effort into this and it's going okay so far. And it is ranking for a bunch of commercial keywords because we just picked a product category within a broader niche. And so we are ranking for a bunch of these best keywords for pretty big keywords in that sub-niche. And you get to see us build that site if you claim the offer on notoryhacker.com slash system today. So, you know, here's the promo. But overall, that works well. And I would not be surprised if at some point, we feel like we don't have as much choice in like easier to rank keywords. We don't, we rebrand that site to like a bigger branded site to like the main niche. But for now, we still have a lot of keywords and we're happy to stay in our specialization, especially because it's very commercial. And so that is something I would recommend to dodge competition. Become a specialist of a sub small niche. And only when you kind of like run out of keyword, feel constrained in that sub niche, do you want to expand either by rebranding with a new domain or just by having that white brand domain right away and just building more hubs onto it. Can you give us like a practical example from maybe just a, a made up niche or another niche of what you might start with and then what you might later well, rebrand? Well, for example, it? this drone site, right? Let's say I would make a drone site because like the R50 is like, it's competitive, but it's achievable, right? I Doable, mean, yeah. Like the, DR, the test site right now is like one year and three, four months old, something like this. And it's DR40. So it gives an idea. So DR50 is like for that site, how many months, maybe four months away, something like this? Certainly in the first two years, I think. Yeah, so it's like, uh, it's not too far, basically. Like we're, yeah, in the first two years, we really hit that level of authority. So like, yeah, I would make like a drone site. I mean, I would need to check the industry a bit more, but like I would make a drone site. I would cover all the drone photography stuff. And then I would make a, let's say I would buy another photography domain, like photographygirlphotography.com. And this drone site's content would become the drone category on that new photography site. And I would just expand other categories. So that gives you an idea of how you can start 
become the specialist, still claim some traffic on Google despite not being a super high DR like everyone else. Then when you rebrand, your DR transfers as well. So your new photography size DR like 50 or something when you start and you, you take it from there and, and, and grow and you can get traffic all along the way. You don't have to wait till you're like high DR to compete in a, in a really competitive niche. I think, for example, in personal finance, I would do that too. So like maybe I'd make a site just about credit cards or like this gold IRA, you know, there's these really high paying FA programs in uh, gold IRA. I'd make a gold IRA website, try to rank for all these very high paying affiliate keywords. And there are like, you, again, check the, the keywords where you'll find like DR30, 40 sites ranking for these keywords. And they're, they're really worth quite a lot of money. Build my site till I'm like DR40 and I cut all the niche and then rebrand to a more broader personal finance site probably and then start adding the credit card section, the everything, etc. And then keep my gold IRA keywords to keep paying for the bills at the beginning. So that gives you an idea of how I would start sites now. And that's, I think that's one of the biggest shifts that I would add in 2022 to address the increase of competition that has been happening in the industry. We're not denying it's happened, but also we're not denying that you can make sites work as you can see from the test site, for example. So uh, it just needs to be a little bit more strategical, start more niche, expand later, and you will do quite well, basically. Okay, so the next point we've got on our list is to create content that matches search intent. Now, it used to be the case when we got started that you could brute force your way to the top of page one on, on Google. I mean, links, way, yeah. way back, way, way back in the day, just by stuffing keywords on, on the page loads of links times. As well. And then more recently by uh, lots of links to a page or even to, to your site. There's still elements of that. You still do need to have your keyword and variations of your keyword on the page. You still do need to have links to your site, links to your page. But more and more, Google's gotten better understanding what the content on your page is and how it matches what the person searching for that content is actually looking for. So this has caused a kind of narrowing of the focus of the search results page. So you'll see for a lot of keywords now that every result is basically the same in terms of the, the content that they have on there. If you do look for a review of, I don't know, like a vacuum cleaner or a, a paintball gun or something, you'll, you'll quite often see 10, 10 pages and they'll have like their intro, their best recommendation, their budget recommendation, a bunch of pros and cons lists for each of the products that they're comparing against, and then the little buying guide about how to choose the best vacuum cleaner or what, whatever it is, and maybe an FAQ in there as well. This like convergence of of content, it's a little bit annoying sometimes because you have to be a bit samey in, in what you create. It gives you less creative freedom. But the flip side of that is that you're given a much clearer map of what you need to do in order to get your content to at least to have a chance of ranking on page one. And we got a pretty good story. Maybe you want to tell it, Gail, about the make money blogging, how much do bloggers make page on, on Authority yeah. Hacker and how it switched That's on a us. sad story, but uh, <laughs> get your tissues ready because uh, you're going to be very emotionally hit here. It's <laughs> Okay, maybe I'm overselling this. You know, it's I had that page that was targeting that keyword, how to make money blogging, and was number one for a long time, actually, which is pretty good keyword, I would say, and it ranked for a bunch of longer tail variations as well. But this was, you know, how to make money blogging, people were just making a list, like here's 10 ways to make money blogging, right? And I decided to tackle the problem in a different way by gathering all the income reports I could find online 
and look at what these people were doing and then try to do some correlation factors with like, you know, how many Twitter followers do they have? How many link and do their sites have, etc. And try to correlate revenue with different metrics to understand like which blogging metrics correlated with making money, right? Based on their income reports. And so that was kind of like a, a unique take on the problem, not necessarily solving fully the issue, but like bringing something new to the table rather than listing the 10, 10 same ways uh, of making money back. And that did really well. That page has hundreds of linking root domains. It was shared around. A lot of people mentioned it when they wrote content, etc., and uh, were able to use the correlation data to make a point when they were writing their own blog posts, etc. And uh, that's how that page ranked number one for probably two or three years on Google for that query, right? And that was before search intents arrived. And Google was like, no, nah, that's not how we rank stuff anymore. We don't really care how many links you have, even if your content's great and you've spent all that time doing all that correlation study. What we want now is we just want lists of ways to make money blogging. And so like, as soon as that started happening, that page just started decaying, decaying all the way to like number 50 or something, from number one for like three years to like page six or something. And as soon as we rewrote that page to just be kind of a list. It didn't really take this number one ranking. It never really took it back, even though I rewrote it twice, etc. But it is, I think it's like top of page two, bottom of page one now, something like this. Like it's much better than it was. But basically, as soon as we changed the content on that page, Google just immediately shut it back up all the way. And it shows you like how powerful search intent can be. And that regardless of the amount of links of effort that you put in, you will not rank if you don't match that search intent because that's how Google works now. And it's, you just, as I say, it's more of a production value war than it is an originality war, which personally I hate. I enjoyed being able to tackle things in an original way, but it's not what Google wants now, anymore. Here, here's, here's a question though. Are we saying with this that you just need to straight out copy what other people are doing? Like, is that the way no, to rank? No, you, you can still like, have some creativity within the limits of the search intent, right? So it's like um, you... Like, you know, for example, I rewrote the article recently and it jumped up quite a bit, but still, I think now we fell behind in links because we were like down quite a bit for a long time. So we need more links to that page. But so I made the list of monetization methods, but what I did is for each monetization method, I found a practical case study slash example of a site that does it. And you actually, it's probably one of the most underrated posts I've published last year because we didn't really promote it. I just updated it, spent hours and hours doing it, and we didn't really tell anyone. <laughs> so if you want to go and check that blog post, I've made, I think there's like 40 case studies or something. And you know, I made that video on fool.com that was really popular on YouTube. That was just one of these case studies or something. And there's one for each monetization method. So that gives you an example of like how to stay within search intent in terms of structure while still adding some originality. And, you know, there is a movement of people talking about on page as well that say that like having kind of like original data probably does help eventually where you match all the criteria of search intent. But on top of that, you have some extra original data that would help you rank better. It's hard to like tell how correct that is because we haven't really like done some heavy digging into that. So I don't want to come on the podcast and say that's exactly how this works. But I think it would make sense that Google, now that we live in a post search intent world, Google would now be looking for original pieces of data that are unique to your page on top of the main search intent to add some value, you know? So yeah, it, you can be original, 
but you can't deviate very far from the expected format either. So you've got to match that. And again, if you go in the AutoSI system, we show you exactly how to identify that structure and article, do all this stuff so that you do it properly. Let's talk about tech then now, like how, what tools to use, what platforms to use, yeah. and, and what's changed. Because this is something that, that does We've change, I'd say, more frequently than, than some of the other areas here. Yeah, I feel like the more time passes, the more minimalist we are getting with our sites. Where we used to be like big proponents of like page builders, making a fancy design site, etc. And now the sites that we start in terms of the new sites that do the best are usually the sites that have the least tech and that are kept extremely minimalist. Most of our sites now are like very bare bones in terms of design. They, they still have like a logo fonts and colors that match the brand, etc. So it feels branded, but like it's mostly like the logo on top, a little bit of menu is like a slightly interesting font, and then just your article content and that's it. And then the rest is super clean. So actually in the updates of the authority system, one of the updates is that we show you exactly how to do that site setup that we do on our new sites now. So it's a new track on the site building. You can still do the page builder version that we had before because I think for some beginners, it's still gonna be useful because they can be a bit overwhelmed on how to do it with default WordPress. But we also show you the full way of how we do it currently. And that is using a basic theme. We use GeneratePress, but Kaden is also really good and it has a bit more like design options out of the box. Astra is also pretty good. We also have a plugin for Gutenberg that adds more design options. So we use Generate Blocks that goes with Generate Press. It's free. So if you want to try it, even if you don't use Generate Press, you can use it. It's only four blocks. But if you learn how to use it, you get like uh, the column stuff, so you can do columns. The headlines allow you to do really a lot of stuff. It's more than headlines. You can do normal paragraphs, but with a lot of styling options, etc buttons and sections only. And with just that, you can build pretty much the auto site system sales page that you see, for example. Uh, we've built, like the Core Vital sales page was built on that, for example, and it was a full sales page with just four elements plus basic Gutenberg. So it's possible to do that. Would you recommend someone starting out as a, their first site use that or use Elementor? It really depends how, how comfortable they are with tech, right? It's kind of interesting in the authority system because you know it's not the first thing we do, right? There's all the niche research, etc. And I make people use like uh, Ahrefs, Google Docs, like stuff like that before when we do the niche research. So basically, when we get to that point in the course, I'm like, all right. Look at all the tech stuff we've done together so far in the course. How comfortable were you doing all this stuff? Did you feel very comfortable, not very comfortable, etc.? And based on how they felt about all the work we've done prior to building the site, I tell them, well, go for this easy version with a page builder or go with the slightly harder version that will give you better performances, but it's going to be a bit harder to do. But the thing as well is the way we teach people to build sites with Elementor is basically less than one day to do the swap over to the non-page builder way because we still do the page content without Elementor. We just use it for building your header, your footer, etc. So you can replace it later. So even if people pick the page builder version, they can quickly switch to the other version later when they feel more comfortable. But overall, it really depends. Like personally, even as a beginner, I'd be quite comfortable doing the normal version because I'm like very tech oriented. But like if my mom was building a site, I'd probably tell her to do the page builder version, you know? So it really depends. It really depends on people's levels. And you can rank sites that are built on page builders still. It's just that, you know, if you want the better way to do it, it's better to do it without. But if you can't finish it, it's better that you do it with a page builder, finish it 
make some money, and then eventually it gets more comfortable and eventually do this transition, you know? So it really depends. So anyway, we also have SEO plugin on our side. So we use Rank Mass, also free. So that's kind of convenient. We have a caching plugin. We use WP Rocket for our stuff, but you can also use, when we teach people to use SiteGround, for example, the caching plugin is pretty good now, SiteGround. It does image optimization, makes transforms your image into WebP, has a native integration with Cloudflare, etc. So overall, pretty good. You don't necessarily have to pay for a caching plugin when you use SiteGround and you get started. On Cloudways, they give you a plugin called Breeze as well. That's pretty okay. It's less good than the SiteGround one. Doesn't do image optimization, etc. But if you have the budget, WP Rocket is better than both, but SiteGround is good enough to start. And then a cheap CDN. So the good news as well with SiteGround, which we recommend for newbies, is they have native integration with Cloudflare and they offer full cache, page caching. So basically they give you a pretty decent CDN for free. If someone is listening and doesn't know what CDN is, explain it briefly. Uh, CDN is a content delivery network. What it does, it takes the heavy files of your site, like your images, your JavaScript files, your uh, CSS spreadsheet, basically the big files that you need to load to load a web page, and makes a copy of these files on servers all around the planet. So if, for example, my server is in New York and someone's in Singapore trying to open my web page, the HTML, so the very small text, will be downloaded still from New York because it's a fast and quick file to download. But the images, the JavaScript files, the animations, etc., will be downloaded from the server that's the closest to my visitor, so probably the Singapore server in that case. And so that means the website would be a lot faster on average. And that's also how Google measures page speed. It's like, you know, the average of users, not just like their one server. So it will help you with that. It will make your site faster. And also it will reduce your hosting bills if you are paying for bandwidth, actually. So basically, if you are using the SiteGround setup we teach in the Autorized system, they give you a decent integration with Cloudflare and it's free. I mean, it's free. It's on top of the service. If you are not, we promote Bunny CDN because it's very cheap and it's quite powerful and it works quite well with WP Rocket, which is a good value for money setup. And actually, one of our pro members did switch from the old setup to the new setup last year on his site and messaged me and told me that within seven days, his traffic increased by 100% on his site. So it, sometimes it can boost traffic, but I wouldn't say that this transition always boosts traffic. We have some, seen that on some sites as well, but we've also seen people transitioning and not really seeing much difference. So it's not like, it's something that could help you immediately, or it's something that will just make you in a better place to do better in the future. But sometimes people see boosts in rankings when they do that and boosts in traffic. So this minimalist approach to, build, to building sites is definitely helping quite a bit. And also you pass core vitals with this setup, so that helps. All right, let's talk about link building now, which is the part that uh, seems to divide a lot of people in our audience. You guys either either love doing it or hate doing it. I think most I don't think I know anyone who, who loves doing link building. People love the results of link building. But, yes, yes. But do and you love link building? When, well, sure. when you know when, <laughs> when you when you know that what you're doing is going to get you these results, you yeah. kind of start loving the process of it. Uh, so, no. <laughs> in our industry, in our industry, people tend to be a little bit more introverted, a little bit more like working on their own things. It's just I don't know a natural industry for introverts, I guess. And so when it comes to link building, it's something you inherently have to talk to other people, reach out to other sites, build relationships, uh, cold call them, cold outreach. This stuff, like, it's just not something a lot of us, myself included, like doing naturally. It doesn't come easy. It's a hard thing to do. So we tend to then focus on the elements we can control and we can do ourselves, like building the site, like creating content, like 
optimizing the site speed and all these other things when we also needed to be doing link building in order to get results. There's a site we sold three years ago and we sort of created the site, started doing content, all that. And as soon as we started building links, the trajectory of the site just started taking off and, and going up. And that's pretty consistent. Sometimes there's a little bit of lag. You build the links and then, you know, a few months later, stuff starts starts happening. But you have to consistently build links. Uh, they work kind of like, to just to break it down for anyone who's really new, they work kind of like votes. So the more links a site has from other sites around the web, and certainly the more links from better sites out there, then the more trust your site has in the eyes of, of Google. So this helps your site in two ways. First, it helps you to push, say, a specific page on your site. If you have a paintball gun review and you have a lot of other paintball sites linking to that paintball gun review, then that page is going to, on average, do, do better. The other way it works, though, is if you have lots of links just to your domain, to like different pages on your domain, your homepage, things like that, then your overall authority of your site will increase. And this makes it easier for you to create a new blog post and then without even building any external links to it, that, that post can just rank sometimes. When you hit this kind of established mode on your website, it's, it's, it's great. It's really easy because you can just put out content and, and it starts, starts ranking. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than that. It's a vastly oversimplified uh, version of the the algorithm it depends on what your competitors are doing and on all sorts of other stuff like like this. Also depends on internal links you have as well. My point with all this is that you absolutely need to build links like your life depends on it. It's probably the most important thing. Maybe you could argue content, getting high quality content is is more important. Having these a website days, probably helps as well. Yeah, assuming <laughs> you have a website and well, let's be honest, you can have a less well-optimized, like not-so-fast website. And if you're doing really well on content and links, you're still going to do well. Yeah, right? you need the content. Like, especially with search intent, links will not solve that problem. Like, you need to hit that minimum quality level of your content. It does not have to be always that high, depending on the niches. But if you don't hit that, no link building will save you. So I think there is a category of people who focus only on link building and have complete trash sites. And I want to guard people against that, that... It's like it's not going to solve your problems if you haven't put the minimum level, the minimum effective dose to talk like Tim Ferriss on your website. If you hit that, then yes. If you don't hit that, you will not get benefits from it really. And that's the, the change there is because of search intent, right? That strategy six, seven years ago, it would actually work. You could brute force your way yeah, you could, yeah. uh, with loads of links and loads, lots of people made a lot of money doing it, but you have to be a little bit more balanced these days. Anyway, how do you actually do this for a new site? The first thing I would do is start doing Harrow. So that's help a reporter out. Help helpareporter.net is the website, I believe. Just search for Harrow and you'll find it. This is a free three times per day, 15 times per week. So every weekday .com. newsletter. There's maybe like 50 to 100 questions from journalists, publishers, other websites out there. And they're looking for sometimes like specialist topic experts like vets or doctors but more often than not just people who have an experience of something there's been a lot in the last couple of years about working remotely for example and if you if you work remotely if you work at home then you're qualified to we to use that those, a lot for a lot of, of random sites actually because like yeah you can be like i'm working on building this site about uh, interior design remotely and then you just answer the remote uh, working questions yeah. and you get links, you know? So yeah, we've used that a lot. 
just today as we're recording, I found a journalist for like a, a top tier publication in the UK who's looking for small business owners who have work online, work remotely with their team and has questions about that. So I sent her a message with some some of the tips that we have. But I also used, I, I found like six or seven Harrows, which I didn't even know we, we had done because our, our team had produced them all. I just searched for my own name, authority hacker, <laughs> like work remotely, work from home. And I found all these these ones that we'd replied to over the last year and gotten loads of links. So I, I kind of used it as a social proof. I was like, yeah, I've been featured on here, here. I talked about it on here and this newspaper and this publication. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see if that pans out. But uh, this is another another sort of like side use of, of Harrow there. Anyway, you answer the questions on Harrow. And sometimes our hit rate's around 20%, give or take. So one in five. It doesn't take too long to answer each each query, though. And you'll get a link. And sometimes these can be really, really good links, such as from, I think our highest one's DR91 from AmericanExpress.com. There's loads of DR70 and 80 sites. And they tend to be, you know, real publications, often newspapers and, and, and bigger places online. So there are links that you definitely want and are hard to get by the other method, which we'll talk about, which is outreach. Now, there are various kind of strategies and, and ways you can phrase your outreach. You can talk about guest posting, you can do skyscraper link building and uh, you know link exchanges, all these, these kind of things. But at its core, outreach is when you find way. a list of people who you want to ask for a link from, and then you email those people and ask for that link. The best way, I would say, of doing it, the most effective way, is to look at the links which your compet the external links which your competitors have. So if they've been doing link building, then you want to be trying to get their links as well because you, their com- your competitors are already ranking. Those links are obviously helping them. And so the way you can do this is you can use a tool like Ahrefs or SEMrush or Ubersuggest to find the links which your competitors have. You can filter them out, so maybe you want to get rid of all the the smaller sites or even the, the the very large sites, and then you should have a list of sites which you can you can outreach to. You then need to that's called prospecting. You then need to send them some kind of message. So the there are tools out there. There's free tools out there like Hunter.io. The, the way Hunter makes money is they you pay them and they will find email addresses of sites. Now, you don't need to do that. You can use another part of the tool, which is their, their email outreach tool, which is totally free. And it allows you, it's kind of like a mail merge. You can put a list of prospects and a template file in there, so a, a message. And there'll be kind of form fields for the, the name or the email address that you're, you're sending to. And it'll just kind of send the same thing out but personal, you can personalize each one as well. It's pretty cool. And then you ask them, ask them for a link, or you ask them. Some people ask them if they can buy a link straight away. Some people ask them for a link exchange for a guest post. Usually, what happens is that people outreach for some kind of like free link, and then ninety percent of the replies you get in twenty twenty two are going to be people asking for money. You can always negotiate a bit there. You can always maybe do a link exchange. You link to them, they link to you, or offer them value in some other way. If you if you don't want to pay for pay for links. By the way, we did a, a podcast on paying for links towards the end of last year. So go and check that out wherever it is. We'll we'll link to it if you're interested in it. And yeah, the idea here is that you you ask enough people for links, and some of them will link to you. Some of them will ask for money. You can negotiate. You can pay for links. And what else stands for on paying for links in 2022? Because people 2022 is pay. You should pay for links. I would say Ooh. now. 
the well, I mean, we talked about this many times last I know, year. But still, people people might have missed it. Yeah. So the risk is that Google doesn't want you to do it, and that can potentially uh, hurt your site if they find out this is what you're doing. Now, the reality of the the landscape is that in 2022, everybody or almost everybody is is doing it. Some of the very big sites they don't need to do it because they're already very high authority. But they don't any, do outreach, probably though, or like they. You know, it's like they don't do that yeah, much thing building. Yeah, some of them do, but it's more in a kind of like, like a relationship building way. They have maybe they have like do collaborations or they'll like sponsor someone else, and you know, there's kind of ways around it, which is isn't really building links, but they probably end up getting some some links from it um, mm-hmm. or some promotion from it rather. But yeah, it's 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 a risk that you may get penalized somehow. I just, I haven't seen a site get penalized for paying for links for quite a few years now. Yeah. And with the disavow tool that Google has where you can kind of get out of jail if, if that does happen. Yeah, the risk-reward ratio has changed a lot, basically. It's changed a lot. But my question to you is, how does it affect people who are starting new sites? Like, how much more money do, does it budget if they start paying for links? And how much time do they save for making that decision, you know? Yeah, so I would say, first of all, there are certain niches, like if you start a personal finance niche, I mean, if you're not willing to pay for links, forget it, because it's almost impossible to get free links in in that space. If you're in health and fitness or even like parenting and niches where people are a bit more friendly, let's say, and less, less money driven, then it is still possible. I would just be prepared in the same way that you you would probably at some point spend money on on content on your site on your hosting it's just another marketing cost that at the end of the day is is link building now obviously you want to get maximum value for for your money especially in the the early days but it's kind of like how long is a piece of string how much money you spend on content for a site oh, yeah. uh, well you could write it all yourself or you could hire a writer it depends how much content you want to create same with links like how many links links do you want to want so, to build but like if, if you want like... a, if you want a if you want a very rough guideline for how much a link costs. And there are many cases where this this goes out the window, but figure around a dollar per DR of a of a site. This this doesn't work at the top end. So if you're talking about DR70 plus links, it's going to be way more than $70, right? But for a, a DR50 site, DR60 site, 50, 60 bucks is, is probably about right. Okay. Uh, and so how much does it change the budgeting of someone's time? Like, let's say I just want to get to a break-even point with my site where, you know, let's say I spent a few thousand dollars building it, outsourcing the content, doing all of that. Like, how much should I budget for links? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the, uh, the Fifth Amendment of SEO and say it depends. Uh-huh. Uh, because it really does. I mean, how many links do your competitors have? You, yeah, yeah. you need you need to be aiming for you know something sort of similar but bear in mind if you look at the number of links that a site has on on Ahrefs most of those links are they're not the links that they've actually bought and paid for or built manually they're okay, links which have question come. then let's say you have a limited budget to build links to your brand new site because you're just getting started you don't have a lot of money where do i build my links to like which page so i guess there's there's three options you could think of. One is, or two options really. There's a, a kind of like higher level page, you're talking your homepage, your category pages uh, that then link to your your blog posts. Or there are specific posts you want to push and link directly to them. Mm-hmm. If you're paying for links, by the way, one of the biggest benefits is you can. Choose it's easier that, to yeah. get links to commercial 
content to reviews and the highly monetized stuff, which people don't like to link to naturally. So I would say, like, if you've done your research properly, if you, if you really know your monetization, what your strategy is, just build links to those those pages that you're trying to monetize. Like uh, if you're if you're going for uh, affiliate reviews and stuff. And then if you're doing Haro at the same time, you're going to get a ton of links to your, so your domain anyway. So it kind of like ticks the box for for that side of things. I would say so. I would say like go all he uh, all in on like two three pages on your site, get that top three rankings on like some commercial keywords, make some money because of these rankings, yeah. and then it's going to be a lot easier to justify the expense. It's and, a uh, that's a it's that. a good point because this is a zero sum game. Like Google has at the moment at least ten results on the first page, and no one Seven goes to, to page two. So if you you've got to be in that that top seven to ten, in order to to make any money, uh, right? So you know if it's either someone else is there or you're there. So if you have a hundred pages on your site and they're all kind of on page two, three, four, five because you've spread your links thin and you know you haven't really pushed any page um, hard enough, then you're making no money, right? But if you have twenty pages on your site and you've pushed ten of them super hard and they're all on page one. Then they're going to be making money for the for you. They're going to be bringing in money, and then you can afford to, you know, roll that forward and then buy more links and grow your content, grow your site, and and all that. It kind of like snowballs in in that yeah, way. Yeah, I'd go for a mid, a, a mid competition keyword, like something with decent volume but not too hard. You know, so you need to find that ratio of like traffic, intent, and difficulty, and then kind of like try to find the best ratio here and just go ham on these two. Probably pick three pages and just go ham on these three. It's also really important, I think, for your like mindset as well to, to, to have some success, wins yeah. like this. Because I mean, the biggest problem for most people when they, they start is they don't believe or they're not really sure that this is a legit thing. Are you and I just making 275 podcast episodes about <laughs> some fake way to make money online in order to sell a course? Well, Maybe. Maybe you don't Maybe. know for sure until exactly. you you have your own results, right? Or you you have a, a good friend or something. That, I think that, uh, Squid Game coins are you. a lot uh, a lot more legit. In my yeah, opinion. exactly. So so like getting getting to the point where you even if it's like you make ten bucks off of a post, it's such a an eye opening feeling when that happens for the first time, and you you know. It's like that bit in the Matrix, you know. He's starting to believe when you're like, "Oh, actually, this is this is a real thing." It's good uh, timing is, because the new Matrix movie just came out, so I haven't seen it yet, actually, because it's not out at the time we're recording. Oh, well, <laughs> the time the time it goes out, it is. So I'm trying to talk in terms All of, right, "Hey, it's fine. 2022 now." Uh, maybe uh, anyway, time my whole my whole, my whole point with this stuff is that um, you kind of need to get to that point where you have a, a win of some of some kind. And then it snowballs from there. Now, the biggest danger in getting to that point is that you give up because a lot of the time you're not seeing enough progress because you've spread yourself too thin and you're not, not focused enough. Or, uh, and this is probably more common, is that you succumb to shiny object syndrome, which is something that affected you and I for like a, a great number of years. Until I, I last week, in yeah. The, in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so shiny object syndrome is basically when you hear of someone making some money in some other kind of business model and you're like, oh, I should do that instead. And then you stop what you're doing. You stop all that hard work, the, the energy, the money that you've, you've spent getting your site off the ground and where it perhaps hasn't reached that point where it's making money yet. And then you 
start something brand new, thinking it'll be easy and fast, but it never is. It always, people always oversell. It always takes longer, more work and more money to get going in another business. So my point is with all this, even if you don't choose authority sites, content sites, if you're doing anything else, just pick one thing, stick at it and do it well. That sounds like a very wise words to close this podcast. Other than if you want to make sure, if you want to get the latest updates that we've done to our beginners course, you can go and claim that new updates plus the original course that was all reshot last year, by the way. So like the whole, pretty much everything is pretty new now in the course. On lotoyaka.com slash system, we are running a special offer until how many days are left on the offer? Now, three, so as of as the time this podcast goes out, it'll be up for another four days. So Thursday at midnight, this offer closed, closes. And just to let you know as well, like maybe how we're a little bit different from other people who sell courses on this stuff is first of all we actually do this stuff so we have our own websites that, that make money the site we built in the authority site system it, it, it now makes now. money yeah. yeah you can you can see us literally do this from like zero to just making stuff yeah. yeah to to actually making money online with with this which is you know somewhat unusual for the the industry i would say and when you buy our course, the Authority Site System, it also comes with lifetime updates. And that's not just we'll throw a few more videos in there when something changes, but we've reshot the whole thing uh, times. two times now. Three. I mean, two uh, times, yeah. the original two so times. So we filmed the whole thing three times, but then and we have two, updates two in between reshoots. as well. And people who bought at the beginning, they had all everything, all the new episodes, all the new versions of it, totally free. And there's a, a change log on there when you you log in, so you can see all that stuff. That we've we've added, uh, and, so and and you, one thing you forgot to say is that we actually added a new bonus module by Kevin Meng, that is a friend of ours, that is a copywriter that specializes in writing reviews. Who we we like his style a lot, and so what he did is he took a topic, I think his best uh, bicycle, best uh, indoor bicycle or something like this, and he wrote the article from start to finish, but like with all the research, etc. It's pretty long. He's it's like four hours of him like walking you through exactly how to write a review that makes money or run the preview that makes money rather and this bonus is on like you get it for free if you join now during this launch but other than that it's going to be a paid upgrade normally so actually you get more than just the discount you get here you get an extra an extra thing that people would pay for on top to get more information on how to write this affiliate content that makes money. So yeah. And if that's not enough as well, our course is one of the few in the industry that has a, a 30 day money back guarantee. So you can join, try it all out. If you don't like it for any reason, just let us know, support authorityhacker.com and we'll give you a refund if you don't like it. Yeah, it's mostly people getting annoyed with me when they refund, but other than that, people like the course, so now I'm kidding. We, we have actually had, a, I would say, a double-digit number of people have refunded because they, they don't like your accent or can't follow That's it. That's a fair if criticism. You know, it's been a real problem. We, we put subtitles on all our, uh, all our lessons, and the subtitle companies can't work with us because Gail speaks too fast in his, his accent. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast... You're probably okay. You hear what it sounds like. If you if you can if you can understand what he's saying, you'll be fine, right? But <laughs> some people some people I guess not expecting that. So yeah, yeah. Well, and we okay. still give them the money back because we yeah. want them to be happy. So it's exactly. Yeah. It shows it shows like that, and it's fine. I don't get pissed off. You know, it's like I, I'm like sure, it's a fair criticism. But like, well, I, I like to be honest. You know, when we make these pitches, like I, I sometimes it feels uncomfortable to like pitch your product. It's like I don't I shouldn't because we've put a lot of work. But I like to kind of like give both sides of the coins and. Explain to people like what really they're getting into, and so that's pretty much it. So 
that's it for our pitch, I guess. That was an unusual pitch where we ended up by slaughtering my accent. But if you if you do want to do online marketing and have a sexy French accent at the end of the of the the course, then go ahead and check it out. Otherwise, thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next week or in two weeks rather for the next episode. Bye. Bye.